Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show for Friday, September 4th. Coming up today, we'll talk to the typewriter repairman who received a letter of thanks from Tom Hanks. Mark Garner talks about the city's proposal to reimagine Young Street with key areas that are more friendly to pedestrians. But first, this could have flown under the radar, but uh, my eagle eyes spotted it. And I thought, Chris, we got to reach out to Blake Richards, who's a conservative MP for Banff Airdrie. Uh, who is sponsoring a petition right now in the House of Commons that opposes the idea of taxing home equity. Blake joins the show now. Welcome. Thanks very much, Kelly. Thanks for being here. So what are the Liberals considering? A tax on capital gains? Yeah, essentially what, what you know, as as most people would know, uh, when you sell your principal residence now, of course, you're, you're exempt from capital gains. Uh, and, uh, yeah, all indications are that, that that's they're considering. And, you know, we see the size of deficits they're running. Uh, they're looking for ways to, new ways to tax people. And there's lots of indications that point towards them moving towards taxing uh, the sale, the proceeds of the sale of a home. So if someone sells their home, mm-hmm. they would no longer have that capital gains exemption. They're talking about about a 50% tax on, uh, on any, um, you know, uh, equity gains that someone would have in their home. 50%? Could, Did you say five zero? Five zero, fifty percent. Okay, uh, this is bigger uh, news than I thought it was. This is kind of it's slightly terrifying as a homeowner. Um, so apparently they've uh, reached a, a, a supposed agreement, the Trudeau government, uh, with the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation to fund a research on taxing home equity. What do you know about that? Well, that's exactly it. So this is an issue that's been talked about over the last couple of years a little bit. We first kind of caught wind that they may be considering this, and there certainly was a proposal that was put even before their policy convention to, to do to do this. Uh, they've kind of, even in the last election, we raised this a little bit. They denied it at the time. But uh, if, if anyone who's, uh, you know, uh, had their accountant mention this to them or that, that does their own taxes would, would recognize, they've been asking... Uh, now for people to report the sale of their home on their income tax return for the last couple of years. Now, generally, the government doesn't ask people to provide information unless they intend to do something with it. Uh, and I don't know what else they would be doing with that kind of information other than trying to determine how much tax revenue they can raise from it. So we're quite concerned, especially once we heard that, there, that they've tasked the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation with doing a study on this very uh, topic. So quite concerned that they're looking at putting this tax on and, uh, and you know, it could have a devastating impact on people with, with something that's really one of your biggest investments in life. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, a very, very significant tax and could really harm a lot of people's uh, you know, retirement plans or ability to move up into a little bigger home when their family gets larger. Uh, it's, it's quite concerning. Yeah, well, you know, I, I know you're an MP out in, in Alberta, in Banff, to be uh, exact, but I, I'm glad you're looking out for all Canadians here because uh, the people that own their houses, you know, we that's our major investment uh, for a lot of us. And with housing prices reaching record highs, at least where we are, uh, the idea of, you know, making some money on your house if you downsize is great. I mean, a lot of people are counting on this nest egg. If the government's proposing uh, capital gains tax, that's for your primary residence. That is something to be aware of. So outline some of the points in your petition. Well, I mean, the, the key here is that obviously what we're trying to do is, is lay out the, the concerns that there are with, with this, uh, you know, proposal. And I mean, obviously, the first you've mentioned already the, the, the fact that for many people, this is, this is one of, if not their biggest 
investment and you know it, it it'll have a devastating impact on some people's retirement plans or their ability to be able to you know move up into a bigger home as their family gets larger and so these things uh you know are things we should be encouraging people to make smart choices to invest in their futures and that's what a home is and the equity you're building in a home is exactly that so why would the government be discouraging those kinds of behaviors that help people to be better off financially with a huge tax on, on that equity? So what we're doing is, yeah, we're calling uh, on the government to, 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 you know, to, uh, not, to not to go forward with some kind of a tax like this. And, I, you know, I know that uh, many people say, does one voice make a difference? But, you know, these things do matter. And if we get enough signatures on a petition like this, we can have a debate on this in the House of Commons as well. So um, this is really something that I encourage all people to uh, to pay attention to. It's, it could have a big impact on all of us. And so, uh, you know, the, I would encourage people to go and find this petition. Uh, the, the best, the easiest way to do that would be to go to my Facebook page. So BlakeRichards.ca is my Facebook page, and I've pinned it right at the top so people can find mm-hmm. the link to this petition. Um, and, you know, sign that, share it with their friends, because uh, the, the only way we're going to stop this is if uh, enough people make enough noise so the government realizes that it just isn't something they're going to get away with. Guess what? We're going to be Facebook friends in a matter of a few minutes after I hang up from you. Well, I, I appreciate that, and I hope it'll be for many other Canadians as well. Oh, geez. I'm going to share this. Um, UBC professor Paul Kershaw, I'm reading about him. He founded this Generation Squeeze. It's a movement focused on young Canadians and housing. And let's face it, it's bleak when you're a young Canadian. You're looking to get into the housing markets right now. The cost of houses have just skyrocketed. But he said that this movement is about shifting taxes towards housing wealth to help reduce treatment of homes as commodities, cooling the market and reining in costs. What are your thoughts on, on what he's saying? Well, I mean, you know, I, I really struggle with the idea that we would want to uh, discourage people from doing something that's uh, you know, investing in their future. And I do believe that, you know, I mean, it's everybody makes their own choices about what's best for their future. But if, uh, if you know, owning a home, which is something that obviously you have a tangible benefit in doing, uh, is also something that can help you to save and invest for your future, for your retirement. Um, I really struggle with understanding why we would consider that a bad thing. Uh, that is something that should the government should encourage. Uh, and, you know, it's much like the principle behind RRSPs or a tax-free savings account. The government's encouraging behavior that helps people to save for their own future. I would say that, the, that owning a home and building equity is, is the exact same thing. And so to tax that at 50%, uh, is something that discourages behavior that people should be doing if, if it's something they can they can accomplish. So uh, I just struggle with uh, trying to understand what, what the heck the government would be thinking to try to discourage that. Yeah, you know what else it does, Blake? It really hurts people that have, have uh, been planners all their lives and have planned ahead. And that, to me, is is just a despicable proposition. Um, yeah. uh, it, what are other MPs saying about this, your petition? Well, certainly, I know uh, there's many uh, people who share this concern, including you know a lot of MPs within my party for sure. And uh, uh, you know, I, I I know there's been some denials by liberals, but I mean, the, all the signs point towards that that just not being the case. I mean, when they talk about it at their policy convention, when they've tasked the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation with studying it, and when they uh, start to ask people to report the sale of their home on their tax return. I, you know, I don't think anyone has to imagine, use much imagination to realize that that's where they're trying to head and we just have to put a stop to it. 
Okay, your petition, once again, is at the Blake Richards Facebook page. How do we know that it's uh, we've reached you, the actual Blake Richards? Because I'm sure there's a few Blake Richards out on Facebook. Well, BlakeRichards.ca is the Facebook page, and it you know, obviously okay. it's a verified page, so it, you, you'd look for that for the verification, and you can tell that you've found the right the right Blake Richards and uh, certainly can, uh, can access the petition. It's pinned right there at the very top, so... All right. Well, Blake, uh, based on what I know about our audience, get ready. You're going to get some signatures in a matter of minutes. I'm really glad to hear that. Thanks so much for taking some time with me today. All right. One of them is going to be mine. You have yourself a fantastic afternoon. Thanks, Blake. You as well. Thanks. Cheers. It's Blake Richards, um, who is the conservative MP for Banff Airdrie, and he is representing all of us here, all of us homeowners. As he says, uh, he's launched a petition in the House of Commons, opposes the idea of a capital gains tax on your primary residence. Just think about that. Scary proposition. All right. Chris and I have debated about Tom Hanks' uh, setup numerous times on the air because uh, his uncle has spent time uh, in Tom Hanks' house. And I said, boy, his kitchen looks really, like, it, it looks very modest for someone of uh, Tom Hanks, you know, livelihood. I mean, he's the guy who's rich. He's a movie star. But apparently that is his house. And when he was, I think he was live on, was it the Oscars or one of the uh, shows that they did virtually, you could see him standing in front of typewriters. He is a typewriter enthusiast. He likes to type. He has written columns on, hi, my name's Tom and I like to type. There's another Tom that's quite fond of typewriters. His name is Tom Chalowski. He joins us right now from his home in Saskatoon. Welcome to the show, Tom. Good morning, Kelly. It's a pleasure to be here. Tom, so um, correct me if I'm wrong. You've never met Tom Hanks before. No, I haven't. <laughs> have you ever had any? Screen. Have you ever had any previous interaction with uh, you know Tom Hanks via email or him reaching out to you at all to talk about typewriters? Not at all. Okay, you are a typewriter repairman, correct? That's correct. I'm one of the uh, few remaining typewriter repairmen in the world. How do you know that? Do you guys get together? Do you have a club? Do you uh, converse with each other, ask each other for tips, share parts? Uh, Through social media, um, Facebook, uh, a lot of us get together. There's a lot of um, very dedicated and passionate amateurs that are uh, repairing machines, but there's very few professionals left that uh, have all the proper tooling and equipment and can do it on a a very high-end scale. So, Tom, you have made headlines because last week Tom Hanks sent you a letter via the post. It was a typed-out letter. Um, How shocked were you to get the letter? I know it was on Tom Hanks' letterhead. And what did the letter letter say? Well... (laughs) I'm 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 very uh, shocked and surprised by the reaction, um, but it's uh, it's a great story, and the world needs good news right now. So I completely get it. But <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks is very much the celebrity face of the typewriter community, and in 2016, um, he was part of a documentary called California Typewriter that really touched off a resurgence in interest in these wonderful machines, and uh, I've. It certainly had an impact on my life, and I just wanted to reach out and say thank you. Um, I was always brought up that when somebody does something nice for you, you say thanks. So I always thought that Tom Hanks was a very personable, 
stand-up guy. Um, and so I sat down and I typed out a two-page letter to him to say thank you and to tell him the impact that his work has done on my life. And I wasn't expecting a reply. And uh, I came home and I opened up my mailbox and here's this very wonderful, personable letter written by Tom Hanks. And I was uh, surprised and I was very humbled. And when I read the letter, uh, I just had to smile because it it reaffirmed to me that he is the good person that uh, I always believed him to be. Yeah, he's the real deal. He's the real deal, yeah. So, and it's kind of interesting, you know, we see Tom Hanks and we, we think we know him because we see him on the screen, but when someone that, uh, you know, is so far away from your uh, general sphere is interested in the same thing, there is a camaraderie. You immediately think, oh, okay, kindred spirits here, but you're, you know, based on the fact that he would write back, you know, he clearly is made from the same stuff you are. If you appreciate someone and something they've done, you tell them, and likewise, he did the same. So how did that documentary that you talked about where Tom was featured in it, how did that affect you? Because you said it, it deeply affected you. Did that get you interested in fixing typewriters, or were you already interested? Did it, did it just give you extra validation? Well, I've been, I've been working on machines for about 30 years. Um, but with uh, the, the, the documentary coming out in 2016, um, it sparked a passion and an interest in people to rediscover these machines. And people, uh, more and more people began to seek out my services uh, as a repairman. And uh, it's just been wonderful. And the, the impact, um, not only an, in, an increase uh, in business, but the people that I'm meeting, uh, that's what makes it worthwhile for me. What I've kind of people are lot. you meeting, Tom? Oh, my goodness. Um, I'm meeting lawyers. I'm meeting bikers, uh, senior citizens, children, new Canadians. Um, I, I assisted a blind woman who communicates uh, through a typewriter. Um senior citizens' homes where there's Alzheimer's patients and you put a typewriter in front of them and they just come to life. Um, New Canadians um, learning how to read and write um, English. There's a connection with a typewriter that that just helps that along. Children who uh, are having difficulty in school learning how to read and write. Um, I've, I've sold machines to families and get uh, received replies saying, you know, thank you. My, my child is now top of the class. Uh, just wonderful, wonderful people. Tom, how can you make a living off being a type of repairman and how hard is it to get parts? Um, you're not going to get rich. <laughs> yeah. Um, you might, if you put the letter on eBay, but not that you're going to do that. No, 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 none of that's for sale. Um, to get parts, well, I, I have a, a large inventory of parts machines, mm-hmm. um, but I also have a workshop uh, that I'm able to fabricate virtually any part in the machine. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've invested a lot of, of time, money, and effort to to set up a full typewriter repair shop. So in some cases, I've had machines that uh, people have dug up on old school grounds brought to my shop. And I mean, that's not the norm, but 
uh, I could rebuild them completely back to as close to factory new as, as you can get. Clearly, this is a skill that is, is dying. Um, you're trying to keep it alive. Do you have apprentices? Or are you starting to train people so that, you know, you will be able to pass on these skills that you've learned on how to fix typewriters? Um, not at the particular moment, but someday. Um, it, it takes the right aptitude. Um, there's there's a lot of skills that have to come together. Chemistry, like what? Metal, oh, uh, first off, a passion for history. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, you have to have an understanding of uh, metallurgy, machine work, um, a certain mechanical aptitude because these these are wonderful machines, but they're very complicated. There's there's thousands of parts that are all interconnected, and um, you have to be able to think three dimensionally to to solve problems within it because you you push a key and it turns a lever and. Um, moves a piece, and if, if something is not working, um, if you take the wrong things apart, you can seriously uh, throw the machine out of calibration and just make your work a lot harder. It's a it's a finesse machine, and I think that's what uh, Tom Hanks probably loves about it. I mean, he loves to get into the nitty-gritty, the minutia of things, because he's also a history buff. Well, these, these machines are just wonderful. Um, you've got 100 years of manufacturing from the 1880s to the 1980s. And all the different body styles, the colors, you know, you go from these large steampunk-looking machines from the 1890s to when the design started to get more conventional and refined uh, in the 1920s. Um, all these bright colors started popping out with the prosperity of the times. The 1930s, uh, typewriters were very expensive due to the, the, the depression. Um, so you, you see these stripped down, austere models. Then, of course, World War II comes in, and it's just straight function. Mm-hmm. 1950s, you get these bright colors, bubblegum pinks and curves and all of that. And then 1960s, you get these mod uh, styles. So there's a typewriter for everyone, and it... it, it you can find a machine that reflects your personality. Uh, Okay. Well, you've, you've got me to the question that I need to end with Tom. What is your favorite typewriter? (laughs) Um, My favorite typewriter is the one that is perfect for the customer I'm dealing with that puts a smile on the face. All right. Well, spoken like a true man that's doing the job, not only for himself, but to keep, Uh, people's passions alive when it comes to their machinery. I hope you cherish that Tom Hanks letter. It sounds like you're the type of person that will. And continue on with the good work. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Kelly. It's my pleasure. Tom Chalowski is a uh, typewriter repairman based in Saskatoon. Just received a letter of thanks from Tom Hanks. Summertime soon slips away The City of Toronto has been working on this plan to completely overhaul Young Street from Queen to College, uh, also known as Carlton, depending on where you are, which side. And uh, they uh, recommend that the des- the recommended design was just released to the public for feedback. So they have these renderings. The, the project is titled Young T.O., 
Moro. So Young Tomorrow, but the T-O, of course, capitalized because it's all fancy. Get it, Toronto. Young Toronto Tomorrow. Okay, so it's a way to in, uh, improve the stretch of Young Street. And I, I think Young Street has improved over the decades. I remember when Young Street was just dirty and filthy and gritty. And it's kind of changed, just like New York City. And I know that when the development of uh, Young Dundas Square happened, years ago that people said this was going to be the the goal was to have a mini uh Times square here in toronto joining the show right now mark garner from the downtown young bia mark welcome to the program it's been a while nice to talk to you again kelly as always great to hear your voice and it sounds like you had the same rite of passage on young street that i did of course you know going down to a and a records to sam the record man walking up and down aimlessly as a teenager nothing could be finer uh, although when you're a teenage uh, teenage kid, you know, the, the grit and grime looks sexy, not when you're trying to invest in the area. So we have seen some changes, haven't we? Yeah, I think the uh, the transition and the investments that have been made in, uh, you know, that downtown young neighborhood, as you mentioned, with uh, Young Dundas Square uh, was one of the significant investments and changes for the neighborhood. But as you know, with all the condominium development on Young Street, it is changing very quickly. So how long have these plans been in the works for like a pedestrian zone in uh, on Young Street? Well, I think we started some work many years back with Councillor Wong Tam when we did something called uh, Celebrate Young, which we narrowed Young Street down to two lanes, one lane north, one lane south, and then we put a lot of activation space or patios on Young Street. You, you see that now based on COVID-19 and the other programs that we've supported with the city. You've got something called Cafe TO that's out there right now. And really that is sort of the vision that there is still car traffic that goes up and down Young Street, but then there's patio space. There's places where you can grab a coffee and go sit down because, as you know, Young Street was not designed that way. That street has not changed, Kelly, since you and I were walking it as teenagers. The sidewalks are still the same. But the density has increased. We've got more residential on that street now. And yeah. normally our, our annual, you know, north-south walking of just pedestrians alone is around 42 million people walk that street on an annual basis. Okay, so I'm looking at the renderings here, Mark, and it looks like there. you're right. There is an area where cars can still drive down. It's been, uh, you know, really collapsed into one lane uh, either direction of traffic and then a bike lane beside. But in another rendering, we see people... Um, walking in the middle of the street what area would that be where the street is completely closed to traffic or is that on a during a time based or or date specific uh period of time yeah i think the design that's out there right now that the city is asking for vetting and and community input would show you know from dundas to basically gould street which is ryerson university and the Student Learning Center there, that area would be uh, pedestrian only, just based on the volume of traffic that you see at Young and Dundas. I mean, that intersection usually holds about 238,000 people in one day cross that intersection. And they've designed other areas uh, further up Young Street, just south of Gould, or not Gould, I should say Girard Street, down to Walton Street, so a very small section uh, that's at that intersection. And the same from uh, basically Dundas to Dundas Square Street, where the old Hard Rock Cafe used to be, now Shoppers Drug Mart and the home of the Friars Museum, that area would be pedestrianized. But I think what we want to look at, I mean, Young Street has always been a place for community convening. 
Uh, I think our organization and our membership would support what I refer to as a flex street. So when we have large festivals and events, we were working on having Luminato on the square this year. We do Nui Blanche activations, but also with North by Northeast Festival and the work that that team does, when we activate the street, then we would look at closing the street and then pedestrianize it during festivals and events. I think that's what is key to try and understand is, you know, you need to activate it. You just can't close it just based on pedestrian volume. Uh, you need to have the activations and the beautification initiatives to sort of really make that young street the street that it needs to be. So how would you close things down? Because if you're talking about beautification, you uh, you need to take note of that as well. Because, you know, the, the after that van attack on Young Street, we saw barriers going up, concrete barriers. And they are, you know, they're still outside to my last time I checked. And I haven't been down around Union Station lately because of COVID, but they were still outside Union Station last time I checked. Chris is still nodding. They're they're there. Um, So how would this be done? Would this be done through uh, various traffic lights and things like that that would remain, um, uh, you know, permanent as far as up and down Young Street that would let you know when a street was closed to traffic and so on? Or would there be some sort of arm that would come down or do we know? No, and I, I think Kelly, you bring up a good point based on the consultation, and I think that's one of the issues that our organization has raised is they've only brought forward just the design element. You know, we want to pedestrianize the street, but we're raising those questions. You can't make a decision on a pedestrian-only street if you haven't put all the risk mitigation things in. So as you say, is it bollards? Is, is the, when the sidewalks come out, is it similar to what's in Chicago on State Street, where you have large planter boxes that are right at curbside that address those, you know, vehicle mitigation type issues. I mean, that's the world we're in right now, and that is not part of this consultation, but those are the issues we're raising. So, Kelly, you're right on point. If you're going to design a new street, you need to make sure that before you decide that you're going to turn it into a pedestrian street, you need to address those issues as part of the design. Mark, we're hearing a lot of, I've been looking online and following blogs about the bike lanes that went in on Danforth, and it seems like people are really using them, but businesses don't seem so happy. So when it comes to Young Tomorrow, this this plan that the city has, and you know they're asking for public consultation later on this month online virtually um, with regard to their drawings and maybe some of the ideas that they're floating, how does the young BIA feel about, you know, bike lanes and pedestrian um, traffic only when we know that we're seeing other areas of the city that are suffering because cars are not able to go uh, as freely into the area to, to frequent businesses? And also, what are the plans for deliveries? Can you touch on both of those? No, you are on point today, Kelly, which is great. It, it, it is basically that, you know, the, I think the first question you ask is, is basically, is Young Street the festival and event street? If it is, then how do you convene 10,000, 15,000 people in that space? So when you close it, you can't have bike lanes going down the middle of the North by Northeast Festival, as an example. So I, I think our recommendation has been, as part of this process, 
is to use the uh, the bike lanes that are on uh, Bay Street, Church Street, or University Avenue as those uh, bike lanes. So, you know, there could be bike lanes down to uh, Carleton and College, as you mentioned, and then they would go over to the, you know, the east-west sides of that downtown young neighborhood and then connect back into the bike lanes that already exist on Shooter and Richmond Street. So in that patch where the square is, that it re- truly is an event space or a pedestrianized space. And that's why I call it a flex street. If it's a flex street, similar to what they did in downtown London, Ontario, um, you know, the street can be uh, programmed as needed. So when they hosted, as an example, the Juno Awards that are coming to our city uh, next year, that when you close it, then you activate it in different ways. It's all about that activation and convening people. So, uh, and again, I think, you know, to your point, that is going to be a key part of that conversation. The bike lane infrastructure is there uh, already and exists, and we do need to expand the network. And our BIA has had an active transportation strategy for multiple years. We've installed more bike racks, but Young Street needs to be that place for convening. Right. How does the, what's the plan for deliveries? Because we get a problem with idling cars. And if you've got to walk your delivery, you know, uh, from a street, you know, one street away, parallel to Young, that's problematic. How, how is the BIA going to be uh, working with the city to make sure that their businesses get their deliveries when we're dealing with a situation where Young Street is in flex and they've closed down to, to traffic? No, and I think that, uh, you know, very valid point, Kelly. I I think it is part of the ongoing conversation we're having. We haven't addressed as part of this design that's out there is how are we going to get uh, deliveries? How are the garbage trucks that have to maintain uh, those uh, pickups uh, and, uh, and management of the street um, in a pedestrianized environment. You know, we should have been dealing with some of those environmental issues, uh, similar to what they may have. One of the examples that we had brought forward is similar to what's down in the distillery district. There's smaller waste management vehicles that are battery powered, so you're reducing your carbon footprint. You know, those things need to be brought into the conversation, but it's not part of the consultation as it is today. And those are the things we're trying to bring forward. You know, our our neighborhood is very busy. It's the busiest intersection in Canada, and if not one of the busiest intersections in North America. So how do you accommodate the Ryerson students, the increased residential, UPS deliveries, all those things, the online shopping that has increased because of COVID-19? All those things need to be vetted and thought about prior to determining whether it's a pedestrianized street or it's a flex street, because we need those deliveries. Businesses have to operate through those deliveries, as you mentioned. All right. So, Mark, apparently the public is going to be uh, able to give their two cents on this uh, proposal. I think it happens at mid-month, I think, September 16th. Um, Yeah, that's the date that's out there, yep. Okay, it's a public event, and it is being held virtually, and then you can complete an online questionnaire uh, by September the 30th if you want to give your two cents. Any uh, Anything you'd like to give us as a takeaway f- from this? No, I, I think, uh, as you mentioned, I appreciate you covering this, uh, this topic and obviously the future of Young Street. It's one of the most iconic streets. We know something has to change. We know the pedestrian experience needs to be accommodated. Those, as again... You and I, when we were down at ANAs and Sam's, those sidewalks are the same sidewalks you and I walked. 
We know the sidewalks, the pedestrian experience needs to change, but we still need to accommodate cars, deliveries, all those things to maintain business in the neighborhood. And then also taking into account the residential growth and the needs of that in this community. So uh, we're not we're not quite there yet. And I, I honestly think a flex street so that we can have the North by Northeast Festival, close it down and convene people back after COVID-19 is the best way to go. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure talking to you, and I hope you stay uh, well over this uh, pandemic. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it, Kelly, as always. Cheers. Be well. All right. Cheers. That's Mark Garner, who is with the Downtown Young BIA. Well, that's it for the podcast of The Kelly Cutrera Show. You can catch us live for three hours weekdays from 9 a.m. till noon. You have yourself a great day. Cheers.